Well, my name is Terry Yearwood. I'm, a, uh, I'm the ministries pastor here at Cornerstone. And uh, in about two weeks, we'll be celebrating our seventh year here in Simi Valley and at Cornerstone. And my family and I just want to say thank you for the way in which um, you have allowed us to minister with you in this city and for the gospel. And uh, it's just been a privilege of ours to be uh, connected and called a part of the body of Christ here at Cornerstone. Um, and we're delighted. I do have a family. Um, my wife, uh, we'll be celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary in November. Uh, so I'm partying all year, right? I mean, I got celebrations coming out the yin-yang, okay? Um, but we uh, pray for her. She's put up with me for 24 years plus. Um, she gets all the reward in, in heaven. Uh, but uh, we have three I say three children. We have two children and one adult. Uh, Elise is our 21-year-old. And then we have two adopted uh, children who uh, uh, Elijah is 11 and Ellen Grace is 7. And so we, uh, our family has just, uh, again, been blessed by this body over and over again. And so thank you for that. Well, that's enough about me. Uh, we're going to be talking about Haggai today. So open your Bibles to the book of Haggai. I'll make it easy. Just go to about halfway, open it up, and hang a Louie and go three books over, and you'll find Haggai. Now, this morning, I may say Haggai. You may hear Haggai, Haggai. Well, it's a southern thing, all right? We have to add a syllable onto everything, every word. And so it's really, it's probably Haggai, but I may say Haggai, same dude, just keep going with it. Um, you know what they say, you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy, right? All right. So as you find Haggai, let me pray for us. Spirit of God, would you not let me distract your message to the people today? Do not let things come out of my mouth, Lord, that you don't want them to hear. I truly believe this is a message for me, for my family, and I believe some here this morning. And so Holy Spirit, have your freedom. Let us not resist you. Let us not quench you. Let us not hold you in bondage, but work freely in our hearts and in our lives this morning. Open our spiritual ears and our spiritual eyes to hear and see what Haggai the prophet spoke to the children of Israel 500 years ago, uh, 2,500 years ago. That same message will ring true to us this morning. So let us hear, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, as you followed along the video, everybody's got all the dates, right? We don't have to go back through all that. Yes, no, everybody get the dates? Okay. Frank, um, what was the... No, I'm kidding. Um, so the Jews are going back to Jerusalem. God has worked in a miraculous way. He has, they've been in bondage. He brings, he raises up King Cyrus. Cyrus is not only king over, uh, over Babylon and that area, he's the king of the whole world. God moves on Cyrus's heart. He says, I need my temple built by my people. You're going to let them do that. He sends them back to Jerusalem, to Judah there. 
And he says, guys, you're going to follow your, your leader who's going to be Zerubbabel. He's going to be your governor. Go with him. When you get back there, I need you to build that temple again. So that's where we're at. Um, Cyrus has said, go on. We're going to pick up Haggai. Um, if you want more of a detailed account of this, you can read it in Ezra chapter 1. In fact, if any of you read extended notes throughout the week or whatever after you process the message, Ezra chapter 1 through 4 is probably where you need to read. The last chapter of Second Chronicles, um, I think that's 20, uh, 36, um, also will kind of give you a brief history of what's going on at this time in Judah, why the Jews are there. Well, there's no, no doubt they're excited to be back home, right? They're home, and they've got one task, get that temple built. And so you know they're excited. They start laying a foundation, and all of a sudden, not only are they excited, but the world around them is excited, excitedly nervous for them. Because all of a sudden you got this group of people who are back in their homeland and are building this temple to their God. And these people no doubt have heard the stories of how God has moved in the past on behalf of their nation. And so they're kind of in this world of maybe fear is coming over them. So they write these letters to the king. The king sends letters, sends his edict down to Judah and says, hey, I need you to stop building the temple. I need you to put a halt on that work project. So it sent fear throughout the Jewish people, and they stopped. Fifteen years later, here comes Haggai. He's going to come with a message of God, and this morning he's going to come with four sermons. Now, I'll try and preach one, okay? So I won't go four. It may seem like I'm preaching four, but I will preach one. And really, all I'm going to do is reiterate what Haggai preached. While you're, while you're listening to these four messages, message one and three, they're very similar to one another, and then message two and four is very similar. Sermon one is going to be more focused toward the individual, and that's all of chapter one, and then sermons two and four is going to be more to the body of the people. The question we need to probably answer up front is, why is it so important that this temple get rebuilt? Why is God so concerned about this temple? I mean, he is moving. He's really moving, you know, heaven and earth. He's moving upon the hearts of leaders. He's destroying kingdoms. All that it might be possible for his children to get back and build this temple. Well, you see, the temple symbolized several things. It symbolized restoration. It symbolized a place of repentance. And most importantly, it symbolized the house of God. And so it was always declared throughout the people as God would give them the promise that I will be with you, that you remember going through all of the, uh, all of the prophets up to this point and even through the Old Testament stories of Moses and how they came out. It was all, build me a temple. Build me a temple. Build me a place. I will dwell with you. Whether it's in the clouds or in the fire, I am present with you. And I want to declare to the world that I reside with my called out people. So here's that Haggai. He's going to communicate this to Israel right off the bat in chapter 1. If, if we could sum up these 
messages uh, in two New Testament passages. The first one would be found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. And it would say, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And then the second verse that would give summary to the four messages that Haggai is going to bring to us is 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. And it says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So as we go into these four sermons that Haggai is going to preach to us, there's a twofold purpose for him this morning. The first one is, I want us to learn about God through this book, and I want us to learn about the importance of building the temple, okay? The second reason and purpose of this message is that we, this morning, would learn some principles from the messages that Haggai is going to share with us. And these principles you're going to find, they're going to apply to us and to our situation right now. 2013 here in Simi Valley. And so that's the purpose for us going through these messages this morning. Let's go to chapter 1, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 11. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Now as I read further... Today, just know Joshua is a high priest, Zerubbabel is a governor, okay? I'm going to leave out um, probably some of those other names. But thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Here comes a message. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. That's twice. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills and on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. You see, here they are. They have one job to do, build that temple. Fifteen years has passed. They've got threatened. They've no doubt become comfortable, right? Oftentimes in in our life, when, when threats come, fear sets in on us. And so... What, what's happened is probably similar to the Jewish people, except what they do is they just turn inward. And they say, you know what? Hey, we just can't sit idle for these years. You know, in, in fact, God's probably going to, you know, build this temple soon. But until he does, why don't we just begin building our own houses? Why don't we begin taking care of ourselves? And then, you know, we'll get to God's work in a, in a little while. 
Verse 2, it's not time to build the old double standard. The old double standard that I set in my spiritual walk with Christ. God comes to me and he moves upon my heart with his word and his spirit. No doubt he tells me to do something. You know what I do oftentimes? It's not time yet, Lord. I need to see you do something more. Or I, I, I need this to happen first. Really, God, it's, it, it's, not, it's not time yet. And that's when he's telling the people, well, sure it's not time. When you're living in your paneled houses, right? When, you, when life is comfortable and cush, and you're looking around, and God's saying, I got a job for you to do. And our eyes all of a sudden are on the things of the world versus on the thing in which God has us to want our, direct our attention to our eyes to. You see, they're living in these palatial houses. Verse 9 says, why God is homeless. We don't think about that harsh, do we? We think about it as we go along our way and we look out for number one and we take care of our own needs. We don't often think about the needs of the work of God, do we? Sometimes that's the last thing we think of. What is it that God might want from us today? What, does he want my best labor? Does he want my best energy? Does he want my best thoughts today? I think I'll use them on myself and then I'll get back to them. It's going to be some hard words this morning <laughs> because they were hard to me when I was reading to them. But isn't that what we do? It's not quite time yet. Give me some more time. I know you need workers in the children's ministry, but you know, it's not time yet. I know we need people serving around the body of Christ, but I just don't feel ready yet. I don't feel called. Oh, this woman needs someone to counsel them, but you know, it's not time yet. I don't know enough. I need to hear one more sermon. I need to go to one more study so that I can be ready. Oh, may that not be true with us this morning. See, verses 5 through 11, he challenged the people not only to quit making excuses, but he he challenged the people to look at their own lifestyles. Jesus summed it up this way. He said, he who seeks to save his life will lose it to continual frustrations. But he who loses his life for the glory of God and the good of his cause will find fullness of life. You see, Haggai steps into the world. He gets real with them. And God is going to take his words and he's going to lay out this reality to them that the more they live for themselves, there becomes this perpetual frustration and discontentment that will happen. And I know for me, before I was a believer, and and even through my Christian walk, there are times where I, I feel overwhelmed by discontentment and frustration and I and God has to get my attention and he has to set me back and he has to set my gaze back on him to remind me that maybe I'm toiling over the wrong things maybe I'm worried about the lesser things well Haggai's gonna draw his list up now this is not a comprehensive list but you know it's it's a unique list because it seems like Haggai knew exactly what these areas of life were that the Jews were kind of holding on to. 
And he's saying, consider your ways. Consider your life right now. In circumstance to what I have told you to do, consider that. Look, go with me on verse 6. Just look at these areas in which he begins to identify. You have sown much and harvested little. Goes right to their labor, right to their job, right? Has your work seemed fruitless lately? Has your work seemed wearisome and taxing? And you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. Are you hungry? Have you ever sat down at that meal and just pigged out? I'm not talking about Chinese food here. And 10, and, and ten minutes later, you're hungry again? I know Chinese food makes that happen. So, But... You eat this big meal, and, and I mean, it, it just, you f- just feel bloated. And 30 minutes later, you walk by and there's a cookie on the counter. <laughs> Guilty, right? We're never satisfied. The next one, you drink, but you're ne- you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but no one is warm. It's still cold. Reminds you of that chilling evening where it doesn't matter how many sets of clothes you put on you just can't get the chill out of your body then he goes right after the money right we put our money into a bag with holes in it i mean if you had more more bills than money this month and yet we're working harder than we've ever worked we're trying to earn more money than we've ever earned and it seems like we have less and less every year seems like at the end of the month you know i look at sheila honey i don't know where it went but it's gone and and, you know we budget it just goes that's what Haggai's saying to his people you're working you're laboring you're you're earning this money but it's like putting it in pockets with holes it's just falling out what's he really saying here's what I believe he's really saying guys (laughs) look to me You're in this perpetual frustration, this discontentment because you're looking at the things of the world to satisfy you. You're looking at you yourself first. And all I've asked you to do is build my temple. Look to me first. Going back to Matthew 6, it's not that God's withholding purposely. It's that he's holding with with purpose. And that purpose is to get our attention. You see... The side note of all that is as I went down that list, right, you can think in your mind, some of you who are familiar with the Scripture, and you go right to Jesus, don't you? You eat, but you don't have enough. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Man, you drink, and you just don't get your fill. And Oh, sweetie, just come and drink of the living water that I give to you to drink, and that is me. Don't cast your bread on water. Right? Jesus is the provision. He's the fulfillment of that as you look ahead. That's for us. That wasn't for them. Okay? Let's move on. Verses 12 through 15. So, first 11 verses, hard sermon, right? Right in our face. He's got their attention. Now he's going to get Baptist on them and he's going to do an altar call. (laughs) He's going to have them respond. What's this? Verse 12. 
He's going to call them to obedience. Then Zerubbabel, the son, or the governor, Joshua, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shittil, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of their host, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. You see, they came face to face with the conviction of their heart and the gospel, the truth of God's word, and it required obedience. They obeyed immediately. You see, obedience was the only response for them at this point. No weighing the options, you know, no examining the alternatives. They didn't have alternatives. They obeyed. Do we simply do as God asks us to do in obedience like that? It began with the leaders here. Leaders, I think it begins with us too. How are we doing? How are we doing, leaders, with, with our short account of sins? How are we doing? As, are we walking before our people that we're discipling? Are we leading the way on repentance? Are we leading people to the restoration and the reconciliation with, with the Savior? Or are we not being obedient? Are we not responding? You see, the obedience of the people was the evidence and result of the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what's incredibly amazing about God is that His Spirit can do the work in our lives. His Spirit brings that conviction to us. And then His Spirit has the power to break us free from the, from the chains and from the lies of the enemy and to set us free. It was displayed here. The Spirit came and met with them. That is so unique in the Old Testament. There's only you know, several accounts of where the Spirit actually is mentioned coming upon the people. This is one of them. The Spirit came and did a work through their obedience. Okay, Sermon 1, behind us. The summary of chapter 1, just to make note in your head. Too often we make excuses when we ought to be making confessions and obeying the Lord. Summary 2, any work that limits God and encourages His people to be comfortable or lazy is headed for trouble. Wow. Okay. Sermon 2. Now, I promise you the next three are not as long as one, okay? So we're, hang with me. Sermon 2, if the first one was seek first God, His kingdom, the second one is keep God first. Because as you begin reading chapter 2, what you're going to find is about three weeks, three and a half weeks has passed, and you know what? Discouragement set in. They have stopped, for the most part, working on the temple, are you kidding me? Three weeks have passed? What has happened? I mean, you guys were fired up. You were at the altars. You were obedient. You were throwing down. You were selling stuff. You were ready to go. You were all fired up. Three weeks later, it's over? What happened? So Haggai's got to step in, and he's got to address this discouragement. 
He's, he recognizes it. He recognizes that, that that foundation that's been laid for the temple, not much work has been done to it. So he steps into this. Read with me in verses 1 through 9. It says, In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel the governor and to Joshua the priest, to all the remnant of the people, and say... Here we go, message two. Who is left among you who saw this house in the former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So why have the people become discouraged? Simple. They can't match the original temple that Solomon built. Their work in comparison to the original temple seemed minute and minimal. And so they get this analysis, this, this, this paralysis of analysis going, right? All of a sudden they enter into this comparison game. And this is what Haggai's going to address in verse 3. He says, Hey, look, look, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? The, the house was actually destroyed about the temple 50-ish years ago. So there's still a generation of people that saw the old temple, right? And they're among them. And how do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? They gave up before they started. They began comparing. See, when you really think about it, when we compare, it brings all the focus and attention back to us. This is such a ploy of the enemy in our lives as we walk with Christ. I hear it all the time uh, as a pastor. I meet with people. And we're even in our society and in our culture, right? You're even now comparing me to Mike last week. Or you're comparing me to, right? And, and there's this sense that we've, we've kind of made this uh, Christianity, this, this church thing, all about comparing, you know, who, who's, who's a better teacher here, and, and what about my life? If I serve faithfully in the, in the two-year-old class, you know, is that more important or as important than Jared leading worship up here? And so you see how crafty the enemy is when he gets us to begin to compare ourselves. And he totally shut down this work project because they were looking at the temple and they were going, there's no way we can make this thing look like Solomon had it made. Had it made. The pressure's on for Haggai, isn't it? Because the, the defeated spirit is huge. So Haggai is called on to make this killer speech. I mean, he's got to make a speech that's going to move these people to build that temple. It, you know, it's the old speech, don't ask what this you know, country can do for you, but ask what you can do for this country. Kind of that speech. He's got to rally the people. 
And this is what his second sermon's about. And so what does he say? Look at verse 4 through 9. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord. I am with you, declares the Lord. That's his first point. Really? Haggai? Is that all you got? God is with us? Don't don't you see the temple there? Don't you see what we're supposed to build? And you're going to fire us up? You're going to motivate us by saying, God is with us? You're going to say that not only is God willing to be present with us, but he's going to provide the provision for us? He's going to supply the materials and the workers that we need. We need more. You see, when severe trials come in our life, maybe we're in the hospital with a son. I saw Brian Thompson last night. had a heart transplant over a year ago. And I remember me and Pat leaving the hospital. We had just prayed for Jim and Dixie. And you could sense this presence of God. And when we were leaving the hospital, I thought in my mind, right, I didn't say it out loud because I would have been revealing my sin. But I said it in my mind. What did we just do? Did we really help them? I mean, did, did I give Brian a new heart? Or did I just say, hey, God is with you. Is that enough for me? Be strong. Right? Haggai says, be strong. Be courageous. Be strong. Where have you heard those words before? Right? Moses. David to Solomon. When he built the first temple. Be strong. Be courageous. Be strong. Be courageous. God said him to Joshua after Moses died. Right? Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. You see, God... God has promised that he would provide strength and provision. Is that enough for us? Do we really believe that when God says he's going to provide his provision for us, is that enough? Some of you, you've, you've, made, you've made decisions at your work to leave or quit your job because there were some ungodly things going on and you didn't find a job quick you go God I did the right thing you said you would provide for us where's the provision God said I'll provide you be obedient you be holy you be true to your calling I'll provide really where is it where's the provision is it enough is God declaring to us I am present I will provide is that enough for us Does that sustain us? Does that motivate us in our Christian walk? The promise that the glory to come from this house will be greater than the glory before. Look at verse 9. Start with 8. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, 
declares the Lord of hosts. So he says, my presence, my provision, and now the hope of the future. Is that enough for you? If God says, I'm in control, all things are working out as I have planned, is that enough for us? Is that enough for uh, you married couples? Struggles are going on in your marriage and you don't like your spouse too much and you want God to change that person. And you begin praying and they don't change. And so, you know, you go, well, they're not changing. There's no future in this. I'm going to drop this one and I'm going to go find another one. I hear it all the time. If we'll just come to one counseling, they'll be changed. If you say the right thing, Terry, it'll change my wife or it'll change my husband, right? And when they don't change, what happens? Well, here's Haggai telling these people, the future glory of this temple will be so much more than what this temple has ever been able to muster up. You know what the challenge was? It happened 530 plus years later. (laughs) Are you willing to wait that long? What are we asking God really to do? Are we asking him to do things on our time frame and on our timetable when he's working with the six billion plus people orchestrating all of this stuff so that at one day when Christ returns, there will be more glory in this temple than ever before. And we can't wait a week. They couldn't either. And Haggai leaves them with this and he says, oh, he says, just try and fix your hope on the future. That's hard, isn't it? 530 something years later. By the way, that 530 something years later, King Herod takes his temple, does some renovations to it, spruces it up. Guess who visits that temple? Jesus Christ. More glory will be in this temple in the future than ever in the past. How are we doing, guys? The foundation is before us. Are we becoming impatient? Are we becoming out of tune with really what God's purpose is for us as a people, as called out people here at Cornerstone? Oh, the challenge this morning is, no, get back to work. Get back to the labor that God's called us to. Get back to the hope that he'll provide his presence and his provision. And that he has a work that maybe only heaven will reveal what happens throughout these doors and throughout our lives in the communities throughout the week. But get back to work. Sermon 3. And I'll fly through these last two. Title of this sermon would be Look Within. It's this picture of this imperfect obedience. Verses 10 through 19, it almost seems like Haggai takes a a sidetrack. In in beginning in verse 11, he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priest about the law. So he's going to come to the priest with two questions. 
If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches it and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Verse 13, then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does not, uh, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. The two questions, the first one, he addresses holiness. The second one, he addresses defilement. You see, Haggai, just like in Sermon 1, here he goes in Sermon 3, he goes right after their heart. See, this time he's going to address the heart behind the issue versus their laziness. Because three months has passed and they're working again, right? They're all out there, they're shoulder to shoulder working to build this temple. And evidently the attitude of the people is that doesn't matter how our lives look outside of building this temple. When we get off work and we hit the time clock and we go home, we can live any way we want. We can enjoy our paneled houses. We can live with hypocrisy. But when we show up to work at the temple, we need to, we need to help build it. And so these two questions come to the priest. And the message to us today is, just like then, is... This whole picture is you don't, something touching us or something touching something else sacred, that's addressing the holiness. But when we, if we are filthy, if we are holding sin in our lives and we touch something else, then we become, we make that unholy. See, the thing touching us doesn't make us unholy. But if our unholy hands touches something holy, we make it unholy. Here's the application to us today. We'd be busy in church. You can go to every Bible study offered this side of the Mississippi. You can play the game. But if I, if I recall the statistics, they're still the same as they were 35 years ago. Hypocrisy is still the number one reason why people will not attend the local church. And so if we live our lives differently than when we're working on the temple, on the spirit, on the container of the spirit of God, which is us, by the way, in 1 Corinthians 3, then we defile the temple and we bring shame to the name of Christ. That's the application for us today is Hey, we can be busy. We can get excited about building the kingdom up. We can get excited about things going on in our life and maybe God's uh, answered a prayer of yours or maybe he's done something really cool where someone's been healed and your life doesn't seem to match that outside of our God time. Outside of your two hours a week on Sunday or your, your, your time during the week. What Haggai's saying is there's sin in the camp. Deal with it. Because as you touch, you contaminate the temple with your unholiness. The temple, the bricks and mortar is not going to make you holy by being involved in building it. No, 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 no. But you will make it unholy if your life is filthy, full of sin, as you build it. 
See, Haggai has them look back to the beginning of their project in 15, verses 15 and 17. And it sounds awful lot like what was said earlier. But he just says, hey, remember before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you in all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hell, yet did not turn to me, declares the Lord. He did it. He dried up. He didn't fill their wine vats. It was the Lord, not nature, not the inability to earn more or make more. No, no, no. It was the Lord that did that. Consider how it was going before. Consider this morning, how was your life before Christ? Were you miserable in your disobedience? Why would we stay there? Let's confess. Let's walk in freedom. Let's live. Let's get busy with what God's called us to do. You see, he ends in verses 18 and 19, Sermon 3, with this positive. He says, consider this day onward. Look back. Realize how miserable you were. Realize how in bondage and in change you were to your sin. You're being freed of that. You've confessed it. You've repented Now look onward. Look what I can accomplish with an obedient and a a humble heart. And then the last message, Haggai brings a special word to the governor. And he includes him and he says, you're going to be a signet upon the ring in eternity. And I can only imagine what Zerubbabel was probably not thinking He was not probably thinking that his life would be so significant in eternity. He's just the governor of a small time span in history. What are we? Do we think about our lives as meaningful in eternity? Do we think about the things we do that one day God is going to reveal us as his child in eternity. And through that, the rewards of what we inherit, having eternal life with them, and the rewards of what our hands and our hearts have done for the gospel. Do we think about that? See, Haggai said, look ahead. Zerubbabel, no doubt, probably never thought his life would be externally significant and eternally profound. But God used him because he was available and obedient. He put his hands to what God wanted him to do and called him to do. Are you willing to do that today? That's to the individual. Close with this. To the cornerstone body. There's four practical lessons here. As we engage in the work that God has for us at Cornerstone. The first one, I think they're on the board. The Word of God sustains and empowers the work of God. Don't ever forget that. Number two, the Holy Spirit keeps our labors from being in vain. Number three, God's people working together to accomplish God's work will accomplish much. 
And then number four, God's work is a work of faith requiring trust and dependence upon God and his promises. As the band comes up, let me just plead with you this morning. My heart's been full and heavy over this message. It's not been an easy message to deliver. Don't blame me, blame Haggai. He's the one that wrote it. But it begins with me. It begins with me and it began with me. Monday, when I was confronted with these four sermons, I'm not laying these on you to bring you to a point of guilt or shame. But God's speaking to us. He spoke to me. He said, Do business with me, Terry. These four sermons are for me, for you. Don't let them go by without responding. So this morning, if you want to respond in any way, if you want to be baptized, if you want to just pray with somebody, maybe you've given up on a prayer request and you just need, you, you need your fire renewed. You, you need your perseverance uplifted. You come and pray with someone up front, all right? Thank you.